Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for this evening. Um, thank you for the word that you've uh, given to Cameron. Um, please bless the word um, that is spoken through him tonight. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for what you're going to do um, in, in our hearts tonight. Um, thank you for this opportunity, Lord Jesus. Just, uh, again, um, bless him for this, uh, for the word that he has prepared um, and spent the last several weeks um, preparing to share. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeff. Good evening, guys. Hi, Communitas. <coughs> Wasn't worship wonderful? Uh, Nate, thank you. Thank you for leading us in that time. Um, it, was just, it was just wonderful to see from the back, just so many arms raised, and just, just I, f- I just felt the heart of worship tonight. It was beautiful. Um, Tonight, um, I'm going to take on the, the subject of discipleship. Um, as I was sharing my notes with Shelby last night, um, she kind of reminisced that it's a subject that's really close to my heart, <laughs> really close to my heart ever since I've been saved. And so um, in studying for this, I realized it's, it, it's huge. It's bigger than the Great Commission. It's much bigger than um, Jesus just walking with, with the Twelve. It's, it's, it's so big. And um, it's a heady task to take on. But I just, not only do I believe the Lord is going to bless you tonight mightily, I really, really believe that. But um, in a sense, I want to pass on just how I've been blessed and loved and encouraged and poured into in my life. And uh, so in in a strange way, that kind of reflects the message in a way of of, of discipleship. it, it might mean that we delve into some um, to some more serious stuff to, uh, to, to sort of assess where we are. We'll see how it goes. My wife challenged me again last night. Would I be prepared with all of the, the things that I've been learning and note-taking and those things? Would I, would I be prepared to be led by the Holy Spirit tonight? That's a huge challenge, and I, uh, that's what I want to do. Um, so pray for me. <laughs> so just before we begin... Um, I'd like to pray because I don't believe anything happens without an encounter with God. I honestly believe that. And so I'm just going to invite him in to take over tonight. So Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that I can stand in this house and share your word. I don't deserve to be here. 
And Lord, I just I pray that Lord that you empower your implanted word tonight that it will not return void. Lord, uh, I believe in Paul's prayer tonight that you have something for us to receive that then we can take out of the walls of this building. Lord, I just thank you for the love in this house. Lord, I pray that you just you bless your children tonight. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and take over. Lord, in your word it says, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. The greater the love, the greater the coverage. So Lord, we just, we thank you for the blood. That we can come into this room blameless. So we can receive from you. Lord, I just thank you. I worship you and I love you and I thank you for everything that you are and everything that you've done and everything you're going to do tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So, the Great Commission. Do you have it? If not, I can read it. Matthew 28, if you have Bibles, Matthew 28. I want to start in verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in or into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just uh, out of interest, has anybody here tonight never heard that? Is that new to anybody? Okay. Um, I've wanted to share this message for, for many, many years, and I never have, and I'm glad I didn't, because... Whenever I approach this uh, subject of the Great Commission, um, and, uh, and when I began to study it and exegete it, I came up with two things. Really, when you look at it, especially at the beginning, and, and Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. So the first thing is really about the su- supreme authority of Christ. And second of all, we come to this thing of obedience. He commands us to go out and make disciples. And, 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 and if, we, if we study it like a topic, we just come to this thing of obedience. And I think the danger is, is that if we do a teaching on it, that becomes the focus. We have this, this, this thing called obedience. And either there'll be some of us who are right now being incredibly obedient and we're making disciples and we feel very good about ourselves. The danger, of course, is that Everybody feels condemned. I'm not making disciples. They feel like they've let God down. They don't feel like they're worthy. They don't match up to those around them. And I think it can lead to not conviction but condemnation, and that's sad. And then I think out of that, then we can go and try and be obedient. And I think if the starting point is obedience, I think that leads to religion. And I don't think that's the order. And so I believe um, 
and what I'm going to try and communicate tonight as best I can. I believe there's a sort of an order to things that God has, and I think it starts with love. I think it's a, it's a love that humbles us and compels us to obedience, but not obedience as an action, but an obedient and willing heart to do the will of God. And I think from that, then that leads into a, a, a servitude. And servitude is the action. And in this case, we're going to focus on the making of disciples. Since the day I got saved, I've been filled with a fire for people to experience exactly, exactly what I did when I got saved. Any of you heard my testimony a couple of months ago? Hopefully that, that message came across. I wanted to share what God did in my life to pass on what I had been ta- taught and to either repeat or replicate that in the lives of others around me. I was made to feel valuable, necessary to the kingdom of God. And most importantly, just how loved I was by God. If there is anything good that people see in my life today, it is largely down to a few select individuals who walked by my side and intentionally poured in so much of themselves into my life. And that's how I'm able to be standing here today in front of you. I am so grateful for that. I believe that we need to start with love. I believe that if we know, understand, believe, and remember his sacrifice, his substitutionary atonement for us, his giving up of his place in glory to come down as a mere human, to be humbled, to take on sin for every living soul, to drink the cup of wrath humankind deserved, to be mocked, beaten, and hung on a tree as an innocent next to criminals, to go through the agony of being separated from his father, and to enter into the hell we deserve so that he could create a way for us to be reunited with the God who made us, to conquer death and fulfill the righteous judgment of God, to be able to be looked on by a heavenly father as blameless in his sight, to be adopted into his family as sons and daughters, To have access in an instant to a love that we cannot understand, that we've never experienced before, a hope we've never experienced before. Deliverance from our own sinful nature. Enlightenment to the truth and purpose of life and beyond all reason through grace and mercy to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness to the, the kingdom of light and to set us free from captivity forever. Let that truth minister to you. If you are in this place and you are saved by Jesus Christ, that is the starting point. That's what love is. That's what love did. So you sit in this building tonight rich. The moment I got saved, I was overwhelmed that I didn't need anything else. For 32 years, the ones that I could remember, I I, I pursued so much And yet in an instant, it became worth nothing. 
It was bland to me. I didn't need to go after it. I felt like I had everything that I'd ever wanted, and yet I was in exactly the same situation. My context was unchanged, and yet something had happened on the inside. I felt like I had everything. I wanted to just walk the earth, maybe with a Bible in hand, like some kind of hobo, and preach the gospel. Still tempting. So I believe that it starts with love. I I believe it starts with receiving that love and understanding what he did for us. That it leads to an obedient heart. I believe it's a posture. And as I said, then it leads to servitude. There are are two scriptures that for me, I I just marvel at how they complement each other and underpin the Great Commission. As I said... Uh, the focus is not really wanting to be on the fact that we need to be obedient to this commandment. I think that there is so much more for us. The first scripture is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I've been meditating on this scripture now. It feels for a very long time. I think it's probably about a year, maybe a year and a half. It's an incredible scripture. If you have it, turn to it, please. It's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. If you don't, I'll read it for you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so entangles, that clings so closely. One of the misconceptions about being a follower of Jesus Christ, of being a disciple, is that it's free. That is the complete antithesis of everything that we learn about in the New Testament scriptures. Everything. I realize we can't pay for our own redemption or salvation. It is freely given. I'm not, I understand that. But it is costly. Every time discipleship is modeled and shown and preached about in the New Testament, we realize that there is a cost for it. I think Jesus annoyed his disciples quite a few times whenever... His popularity grew from a, uh, from a healing and people would start to gather around him and then he would seem to say something radical and scare everybody away. Let, let the dead bury their dead. Come and follow me. Leave your livelihood behind. Leave your father. Come follow me. So first of all, we need to understand that discipleship is both proactive and it is costly. Lay aside every weight. I think this talks into the temptations of this world. And so the question is, 
What are the weights that you have in your life that are preventing you from running the race? Lay aside every weight. It is proactive. You need to identify the things in your life that are holding you back, holding you down. And sin that so entangles. My goodness. I wish I could stand up in front of you blameless and know that, that there is no sin that clings to me, that I have victory in all the areas of my life. I wish, but I don't. I can't. But I think that there is a, a, an answer, there is a model, there is something wonderful in this next part of the scripture that, that, that shows us how it can be done. The next part that it says, it asks us to run with endurance the race set before us. It is the race, it is the task, it is the mission that is set before us. I think it echoes the Great Commission. We are to run with endurance. How? It is a, a long time. Since the moment that you got saved, a moment that we call justification, there is this long, long race where we get sanctified from the day that we're saved until the day that we meet Jesus in glory or he comes back. And it could be a very long time for some of us. It is a long race, and we're going to need a spiritual character called endurance. But how are we meant to do it? In the next line, I think we have our answer. Looking to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. One, one interpretation, I think, in the King James, it says the captain of our faith. Jesus is the model in every single way. And in the greatest way, Jesus was so many things, and there's so many things that we can learn. But above all else, he was a servant king. The Bible says he didn't come to be served, but to serve. It is the most powerful thing, the powerful example, most powerful example to us. If we want to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, if we want to be little Christians or little Christ, if we want to be Christian. We have to serve. We have to know what it means to serve. I don't think we can know anything of Christ unless that is our heart posture and, and, and what we do. Looking to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, he is always the model. And so we look at him. But how did he do it? He didn't just disciple the 12. He didn't just go around healing Especially towards the end, there was great darkness. How did, he, how did he overcome? How did he go through the pain and the agony of the garden? How did he go through betrayal by people that were closest to him? How did he get uh, vilified by a crowd as a criminal when he had done nothing wrong? How could he go through all of that knowing what he was about to face? How could he uh, live and breathe and eat and sleep with these 12 disciples that became so close to him knowing that he would have to put them through the agony and the, the disillusionment of being departed from him. Even though he told them, he says, listen, I'm going to have to go from you. I'm going to be gone, but I'm going to come back. But he knew how frightened they would be. How did he do that? Who, for the glory set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame? Who for the glory set before him. Jesus had a vision. He did it because he knew of the glory that was set before him. 
I think that's the key. If I was to ask you honestly from your day-to-day life and your, your walk, what would be your focus? Would the tendency to be on us, your problems, your struggles? Do you ask God for blessings for you and all of the things that you do? Where your treasure is, so your heart is also. Is your treasure in heaven? When I lose sight of meeting Jesus in glory in heaven, when I lose sight of the crown of life that has been set aside for me, many crowns, the mission gets harder. When I remember that, and when I remember this verse, it gives me the strength to carry on. I have a... I want to read James 1.19 just to show you the comparison and how they underpin each other. And then I want to share with you something that's been helpful to me. James 1.19 says this. I'll go to verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Love that which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. Verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. When we go back to Hebrews 12, verse 1, lay aside every weight and sin that, cling, sin that clings so closely. You see the parallel. It's proactive and it's costly. It's difficult. But be doers of the word, not hearers only. Still just a mirror. Down to verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the one who looks into, the one who abides, the one who studies, the one who meditates on, the one who prays on the perfect law, the law that leads to liberty and perseveres, being no hearer of the word but a doer, he will be blessed in his doing. And in Hebrews, it talks about endurance, perseverance and endurance, so similar. What a wonderful scripture. James believed everything that the writer of Hebrews did. So, I'd like to give you a picture of, 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 of what I feel this looks like when we walk it out. Jesus said, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those that find it are few. I just want to make a point here. Um, discipleship, I, I just like to define a little bit of what d- discipleship isn't. D- discipleship is not about increasing the numbers. It, it, it is not about us as a body, as a, a, as a church, being able to go, uh, we, we've increased attendance 15% year on year. It's not about that. And you might have grown up in a culture where maybe that was the goal. 
but it doesn't line up with scripture and it doesn't line up with what Jesus said. You have to be okay with being a minority. And I think that you're all probably culturally aware enough to know that things are being shaken up at the moment and times are hard. The, the, the nation that the founding fathers created, and I realized the irony of a Brit telling a group full of Americans about the <laughs> Declaration of Independence. But listen, if you read the Declaration of Independence, you can't write that without the Bible. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It, 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 it's like a hermeneutic of the Old Testament God and the New Testament theology. It's unbelievable. That nation, that nation is gone. Christendom is dead. If you needed proof, there was a new story that came out today about a, a dating website that got hacked. That's not a scandal. The scandal is that the, 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 the purpose and the tagline for this website is life is short, have an affair. That, that's not even the scandal. I don't, uh, as Paul said last week, uh, I don't expect a fallen world to behave like believers and Christians. The scandal is that that website that promotes people who are married or in a long-term committed relationship to actively pursue affairs had 37 million users. That's over 10% of this country actively looking to have an affair in marriage or... And they have other websites and so on. This is the world that we're living in. So we are, uh, that narrow path that Jesus talked about in Matthew 6, I believe it, it is feeling a little narrow. But I just want to share something with you that has really helped me. It's, it's a little bit extra biblical. Uh, I realize you're going to need a little bit of license here. But um, I've often pictured it like this. I picture the, the narrow path that we're walking on. First of all, uh, in Proverbs 3, it talks about God making our path straight. If we acknowledge him in everything that we do, making our path straight. I, I learned a wonderful thing um, that in the Hebrew, what he talked about was making our inner path straight. And if you don't understand that, and, 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 and your mindset is toward this sort of this, this idea of this, this blessing only God, we think about it. He's just going to make our path straight. He's going to make everything just good and easy so we can walk easily. It's not that. But I, I picture the narrow path with a little bit of a camber and a ditch on either side. And on one ditch is the world, and another ditch is, is the sins of the flesh, the, the lust of the flesh, the, uh, the, the thing that Paul talks about in Romans 5, 6, and 7 and just struggles against. Yes, our spirit is redeemed. We are a new creation, creation in Christ Jesus, absolutely. But unfortunately, as Paul just struggle to understand that we still live in these mortal bodies, these, these bodies that just want to sin. So we've got the, the distractions of the world on one side, and we've got the, on the other trench, we've kind of got the things that we really want to do. And then there's this narrow path that we are called to walk on with, with Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as our vision and our captain ahead of us. And, 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 I, and I picture it as we just, we, we are walking along, and we are consciously, continually putting away the weights and the sins 
as we are still just looking at Jesus. And of course, we have a, a crouching lion who wants to demoralize us. He wants to distract us. He wants to kill, steal, or destroy us. But that looks like, to me, that he, he might push us into one of those trenches and we, and we fall into sin for a while and then we get back onto the narrow path and then we repent and we go through the cycle again and, and, and James calls us to be unstained by the world. So how do we do that? It's not that we just look to Christ as we're walking on the narrow path. We, we, we start with love. We have to abide in his word. We have to pray him, pray to him, listen to him, worship him, fellowship with others. We are always looking to Christ. And so if we start with that, it'll prevent us from falling in either of those ditches. Right? Always. And so we spend less time in the ditches and, and, and more time on the narrow path. More, more time effective. And should we go on, uh, go on our own? Is this just a, a relationship between me and Jesus Christ? Is that it? No. It is, take somebody with you. Take a mentor. Take, a, take somebody who will disciple you through the most difficult times. There is lots of reasons for this. There are two types of discipleship. There is one which is our discipleship to Jesus, who is the head of the church, yes. In those areas, maybe we've done well. In the making of disciples, I believe there is huge room to grow. I didn't want this to turn into a sermon, and it could have been about how we failed as a church. It's easy. I didn't want to just lend my voice to that, because honestly, it's... I don't know, maybe it's above my station or I don't think it would have done good. But I think it's worth just having a reality check to say maybe we've fallen short in that area. If it is not our primary purpose, if, it's not, if it doesn't take hold that we realize that that is our mission, I think it would be very easy to get distracted. Why not? What does it matter? I'm going to be saved anyway. God's sovereign. He's coming back. I, Jesus decides when he's going to come back in glory. Maybe I'll just study some more. That breaks my heart. It breaks my heart for two reasons. One, it means I think we, we first of all, would be disobedient to God. But second of all, I've just seen how much good discipleship has done in my life. Since the first moment I became a Christian, I got, I got pastored by about four or five people, pulled in and, and, and poured in just spiritual wisdom. And they, and they put up with all of my silly questions. How could he be a trinity? What is prayer? How come some people get healed and some people don't? And on and on and on. And then when I came to America, I'm going to rewind. I'm going to press pause. I want to share something with you that was um, a revelation. I really hope this blesses you as, uh, as much as it does me, and I hope I do a good job of this. Why? Why does God use us? Why are we God's methodology? Why is God's method a man? Why? To display his glory. I would argue that he could display his glory without us. Because he is love. That's a profoundly deep answer, Dan. It always is. Um, anything else? Why? It's 
good. Chooses us as his allies. Anything else? Why does God use us? That's very good. He, we're, we're made in his image. I, I think I have an answer. I think since the dawn of time, since the garden, God has wanted to use us. I love spending time in the garden. I've spent a lot of time there, walking around, imagining what it was like, asking lots of questions. I love the garden. Uh, very rarely do I spend any time in the garden and not come out with fref- fresh revelation. And this is one of those times, I believe. If we read in Genesis, God has already placed Adam in high office. He's given him authority and, and, and position, and he's given him dominion over all the animals. Proof that the original design of God is he wants to use us, to include us and collaborate with us. That is an answer in, in itself. Then in in Genesis 2.19, something magical happens. There is this beautiful little intimate moment, what I believe with the pre-incarnate Christ, but it doesn't really matter. It's with God, and it says this. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. Why? 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 God had just created the heavens and the earth, separated the waters from each other, created light. Why? He already given Adam an unbelievable uh, level of responsibility. He gave him dominion over the animals, and then he pulls him aside and parades all of the animals in front of him. And he says, name them. One author described it as though God took off his God cape and put it around Adam for a moment. I pictured this scene and just Adam being overwhelmed and looking at him like, why, why would you do that? Seriously, you don't need me. You would do a much better job. Plus, I don't even know what that thing is. This is the revelation that I got. God wants to empower us. That's the revelation. God doesn't want to just include us and use him as a, as a tool. He wants to empower us to bring him glory, whoever said bring him glory. To conform us to his likeness. What would bring more glory than using very average people to achieve incredible things? God is unchanging. Jesus comes into the world and he handpicks 12 people to be his disciples. His world changes. We are sat here today because of their actions and he picks 12 very average people and a real mixed bunch too. I know you've probably heard that before in sermons, but think about that. Think about that. I think Paul is the only real exception. (laughs) But of the original 12, just, just simple, simple people, and I think he, 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 that sends out a very powerful messages, a message to us. There's an amazing moment where God approaches Moses in the burning bush moment. You probably know it. And he says, listen, I've heard the cries of my people, Israel. I want you to lead them out of captivity. Do you know what Moses says? Who am I? I think that's what we do. That's the wrong question. It's who are you? I think that's what we do. We say, 
here's a commission. You want us to go out and preach the gospel and make disciples and teach them to obey everything that you had. And, and we say, well, who am I? I'm not an evangelist. I've got sin in my life. I've got, uh, you, don't, you don't even know my family history. And we, and we look at ourselves instead of looking to the God who called us who is abundantly able to do more than we can ask or imagine according to Christ who is in us. Thank you, Nate, for reminding us. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, in us. I think that's the answer. I think he wants to empower us. He is not a distant God. He wants to use every single person in this room to go out and make disciples. It might not be the church that you grew up in. You might have gone uh, consistently to an incredible church with a brilliant preacher teacher. Who you turn up and you and 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 you just go, "Wow, I, there's no way I could know or learn or or, or 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 do any of those things." Maybe. I th- I think it's time to forget that. I think it's time to realize, and Israel had the revelation too, that, that God is flattening the hierarchy in the church. We don't turn up and look at some guy who's got, you know, three book deals and five million Twitter followers and, 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 and just, just an incredible orator. We need to shed that. That is one of the weights and the sins that I think we need to shed if we're to make a change in our communities, if we're meant to be a force for influence. And as we do that, as we go and make disciples, let us be discipled. A really strong question is, is discipleship for everybody? Is it maybe for a short time just after we become a Christian or a believer? Maybe. But I believe that we need to be about the Father's business for the entire time that that we are on the face of this earth. I think we need to have a mind for that. I think we need to be gripped by that. I think we need to realize that we have been given everything that we need to fulfill God's mission. And it's about him. It's not about us. And I think we can do it. I honestly believe we are the generation and the generation just after us, depending on how old you are. We have the greatest responsibility and, and the time is now, and the place is here. I honestly believe that. All right, let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you is not about us, but it is about you. It has always been about you. Lord, I I pray that you help us to receive the implanted word. Lord, help us to set aside every weight and sin that so entangles. Lord, help us to run the race. Lord, give us a vision of purpose. Lord, let us reclaim back the Great Commission. Lord, help us not to look inwardly or down at our faults. Lord, help us to see us as you see us. Lord, every time we pick up your word, let us be reminded that we are able to achieve abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. Because you are with us. You are in us. Lord, I thank you. 
I thank you that you overcame the cross, that you conquered death. I thank you that you are seated in the position of power, interceding for us right now, the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, I thank you that nothing can hold back your church, not even the gates of hell. Lord, I pray that we go from this place changed. Lord, I, I, I pray that we leave with, a, with a, a new enthusiasm and a new fire to fulfill your purpose and your commission and your call on our life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We like to hear a message and then we like to take it home. One of the ways that we take it home is by praying it into our heart. So what we'll do is find one other person or maybe two. Maybe there are two of you that came together and you want to pray together. Two or three at the most, three. I'm 71 years old and I have a mentor. So to answer his question, is this... Is this what you do a little while after you get saved and then uh, you're done? Not for me, it isn't. I still need help. When I got a call from Salamo, remember any of you remember Salamo from uh, Madagascar that was here for a while and went back to Madagascar? He called me uh, a couple of weeks ago and he asked me a question. I wasn't sure of the answer, so I asked two people, a guy that we mentor each other and a guy that mentors me. And I got an answer from him. So this is ongoing. Uh, for those that are really serious about their life in Christ, we're not independent. We're not doing our own thing. We're connecting to other people. So it'd be good for you to ask yourself the question, do I have someone like that who's looking after me? It meant a lot to him to have people like that that looked after him. How many would say at this point, that you have somebody that's looking after you and that's praying for you and that you connect with from uh, on a more or less regular basis. Raise your hand. Yeah. Okay, it looks like about 30-40%. I hope that increases. If we could help you, we'd be glad to. You could do it yourself or you could come to us and say, I want to mentor. You have anybody you can recommend. How many of you, let's, let's uh, raise hands too. How many of you are mentoring someone else? And what I mean by that meeting on a more or less regular basis, once a week, once every other week, mentor, sometimes by phone. How many are mentoring someone else? Okay, the, the hands, fewer, fewer hands went at that time. Wouldn't it be wonderful if within a half a year, almost all the hands went up saying, I'm mentoring somebody, and I'm receiving. You know, a great way to grow is to mentor somebody because you're forced to, to, to get answers from the Lord in order to give them away. So I want to pray that for you, and then I want you to uh, divide up, and you might talk about, uh, would you pray for me that I'd find a mentor, or I have somebody that I'm um, mentoring, I need a mentor, we'll help you. So I want to pray that for you. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that this, for some of us, it's a new area. Thank you for the message we heard about how important it is to be on both ends, to be receiving and, and giving.
So I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts a real desire to obey the Great Commission, that we would be walking that out in a very personal way, that there would be somebody that's looking to us and we're providing strength for their life. I pray that you would uh, give us that person, that you would connect us. Maybe we already know it. Think now. You might find some, some name might come to mind. I think I'm supposed to connect with this person. I think I have something that this person needs. I think I could walk with this person. What a wonderful thing if you connected in that way. If 40, 50 people in this room did, that would be so wonderful. And on the other side, I need somebody. So, Father, work that within us. Take this message and zing it home into our hearts tonight. And I pray that we would develop a discipling culture at Communitas. So this becomes the center of prayer. There's food upstairs. We're not going there right yet. We're going to stay here for a while. And it's not time for fellowship. We'll do that as well. But this becomes a prayer meeting. And uh, whatever you're comfortable with. It can be for five minutes. It can be 15 minutes. Spin around now as I'm talking. Go ahead. Start. Find somebody close to you. And you're going to pray the message home. Hey, I need a mentor. I need somebody. Pray. Uh, Would you pray for me that I'll find that person?